Welcome to Aging in Arizona, a show dedicated to educating listeners about current health care topics and local services. Now, here are your hosts, Presley Reader and Mark Young. Hello and welcome to Aging in Arizona, where, as you know, we talk about the joys and some of the challenges of growing older in this great state. Thank you so much for being with us today. We're going to be talking with local experts about what they see happening as people age and discussing some services. More importantly, today we're going to be talking more about our new book. It's also called Aging in Arizona. The subtitle is Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. And if you haven't been tuned in for the last couple of weeks, we announced the launch of this book and talked about how we have brought previous guests onto the show to talk about the chapters they wrote. We went out, we looked at our 200 plus shows, Mark, and we decided these were the key topics for the elderly and their families to know about in Arizona. And then we approached these experts and had them write chapters on these topics for the book. It's so exciting. And uh, we're going to get into a couple of those topics today. But before we do, my co-host, Mark Young. How are we doing? Great. Uh, Again, I'm excited about this book. I tell you, you know, since we put it out there, I've really been paying attention to, is there anything else out there that's like this? And, you know, you see a lot of different smaller books that do versions of, you know, maybe an independent industry that talks about it. But I've yet to stumble across anything that brings it together like we have done. And, you know, we got a couple great people here that were co-authors, a couple great chapters, excited to have them here. But before we get there, how's mom and dad doing, Presley? Well, thanks for asking about mom and dad. They're enjoying the book. And as I said last time, they're passing it out to their friends and uh, more specifically passing out to their family. And that's one of the things that we hope this book is helpful with is getting conversations going with siblings parents, children, and others who may be hesitant to talk about some of these issues, maybe the book can, as we always encourage people, help them have those conversations before it's too late. Absolutely. And I think uh, that's one of, the, one of the reasons that I like the book in the sense that, you know what, you, you, want, you want to have that awkward conversation. But I tell you what, Presley, why don't you, uh, why don't you read chapter five here? And uh, maybe that helps uh, you know, shed a little light and make the uh, conversation last. But uh, before we get started and, and talk to our guests, we need to thank our show sponsor, that is Comfort Care Home Care. They provide the care you need in the best place of all, your home. Call Comfort Care at 602 438 1300 or visit their website at www.comforcare.com to find out more about how one of their caregivers can assist you and your loved one to continue to live safely and independently at home. Comfort Care is helping you live your best life possible. Great. Thank you, Comfort Care. Thank you, Mark. And uh, our guests today, let's get over to them. Our first is Dana Jean. She's with Senior One Source. She's uh, also the author of Chapter 5 in the book, Managing Your Medications. And then our second guest is going to be Jason May. He's an elder law attorney. He wrote Chapter 7, which covers Medicaid and the Arizona Long-Term Care System, which are one and the same, but something that is a a real confusing topic for people often and an important one. We'll be talking with Jason in the second half of our show. But ladies go first here on Aging in Arizona, so let's talk to Dana Jean. Again, Dana, you're with Senior One Source. Tell us what that is, and then we'll talk about your chapter, Managing Your Medications. Okay, thank you very much, Presley and Mark. It's good to be here. Thank you for having me. It's a very exciting day to get to talk about what I wrote. It feels like 
it was a very long time ago now, so it's nice to to revisit it and be able to share it with people and and it still be very relevant and especially in what I'm doing now, working with seniors, trying to help them with um, new homes that they may need um, when they come out of the hospital, um, needing to find places that are safe and affordable for them um, to be able to recover fully and and to just be as comfortable as possible in their environment and have the care that they need. So that can be um, moving to group homes, assisted livings, um, from individual homes to places in, in short-term and in long-term situations. So um, I love being able to help my families and, and feel like having this background in, in the healthcare side of it and, and really being able to speak to that and encourage them to, in all aspects, not just the housing side, but in the healthcare side as well, um, to help make the best choices for their health. So this is one of those big topics that is really important and they don't realize a lot of times that the impact of the medications that they have in their life. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that. People don't realize it feels to me like it's kind of a snowball uh, effect with medications. As you age, you add maybe one medication this year and then a couple more medications the next year. And the next thing you know, you're talking to somebody who's in their early 80s and they've got 10, 15 medications that they're on from different doctors and creating all kinds of complications that they're not even aware of. Right, exactly. And uh, there's a statistic that half of the population in the United States is on at least four medications. Well, that's, I mean, kids are starting medications at two years old. Oh my goodness. So, you know, you know extrapolate that. <laughs> if you're somebody that, that has been told your whole life that medications solve problems, then you're going to be somebody that, that will continue to take those medications but as we age, you, you get more fat in your body. You, you're, there's not enough water held in your body. So you're constantly dealing with the elements of, of what aging does. And so uh, medications, basically chemicals, react in your body. And so it's, it's really trying to find the right balance of what's going to be helpful to you, but then create those side effects from essentially those chemicals and those poisons that you're putting in your body to make yourself feel better. So it's, it's finding a balance in that way. And what's causing all this? Before we get into the tips and finding that balance, I know you're going to make some recommendations. What, what's causing all this besides just the aging process when you're, in, when you're talking to the elderly? Uh, paint a picture of what the experience is like for them and, and why. Yeah, so as we age, you know, at some point you're going to probably deal with some chronic conditions or things that happen as you age, high blood pressure, um, any of those types of, of um, chronic issues or heart medication or, you know, antidepressants or, I mean, there's dozens and hundreds of medications for even just one one illness, especially chronic illnesses. So um, as you as you get older and you're dealing with those things, it, you may end up in the hospital. And, you know, doctors are doctors and they're great and they are a tool. But, you know, you have specialists, you've got primary care, you end up in the hospital and emergency doctors. And so they may change your medication. They may alter the what you're taking. They may think something's working better. And a lot of times seniors come out of the hospital and they have five five more medications than they went in on and they don't know what they're for. Definitely one of my favorite chapters in the book because of the variety in there. But the biggest message that I got out of that indirectly is really how important it is that you have to be your own advocate in looking at your medications. Absolutely. Because exactly what you're saying, you have so many different physicians that are part of your healthcare continuum, uh, you know, medications that react and then all of a sudden you're taking off that medication. So, But yet you're still on this another one. Uh, it's just there's just a lot of work to make sure. Uh, you, one of the crazy scenarios I run into quite frequently, probably too frequently, is you brought up the high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. High blood pressure, high blood pressure medication is working, 
and, and, and they're low, but yet they're still on these medications. And then they're, they're kind of dropping out at the bottom, but yet they're like, do I still take the pill? Again, that own advocacy that you need to have in talking to your doctor about what is the long-term plan and, and virtually, you know, to get off some of these medications. Yeah, and, and it really is, it does take a team, especially for elderly. I mean, it's, it's so difficult now. With, I mean, it's great with technology and young people know how to use it and filling prescriptions and how to get them de- delivered to your home. And, but medications are expensive. And so a lot of people that are on them, it's, it's a tight budget. And so they, they don't want to waste the medications. They paid a lot of money for them. And so how do you manage that? And, and so sometimes elderly people, they want to make their medication last longer. So they cut the pills. They don't take pills. They, you know, they're not eating properly because they can't afford their medications. And so it really takes a team of people to say, okay, why are we taking this? What do we need it for? How can we get down to the to the bare minimum? And what are some alternative ways that can can work in our in our life, like lifestyle, diet, those types of things, especially people that have dementia, Alzheimer's, and they're trying to manage that on their own. It's just a nightmare. So especially your listeners, I think a lot of them probably have uh, elderly parents that are aging and really being involved in those conversations is super important. Yeah, if I can play off of that a little bit, both of what you're you're both saying is uh, the idea that people aren't looking at medications. uh, They're not advocating, but I think even before that, they're not even looking at medications as the potential problem. You point that out in your chapter, Dana, uh, several years ago, and I'll quote from your chapter, several years ago at an American Academy of Family Physicians Assembly, Aubrey Knight, a medical doctor, remarked that, quote, any symptom in an elderly patient should be considered a drug side effect until proved otherwise. So it should be considered, a symptom should be considered, uh, as she said, um, a medication problem. Mm-hmm. That's a starting point. But I think so many families and elderly assume, uh, and we all know what that does, assume that medications are fine because a doctor prescribed it and medications work the way they're supposed to. So it must be some other factor. Exactly. Is that, is that yeah, what you run into? Exactly. That happens all the time. I hear it from people. Well, the doctor prescribed it, so it's fine. Well, it, it may be fine given a normal, healthy and not dealing with all these other things. But, you know, with the with polypharmacy, which is having multiplication, multiplication of, of multiple drugs and chemicals in your body, you're going to be dealing with side effects and then treating the side effects with other medications, which can create all kinds of other problems. And so um, being aware of that and and making sure that the communication is there between all of the different doctors, and especially especially when, when um, elderly leave the hospital and, you know, they get new medications, communicating with your team and saying, okay, this is what I was prescribed. Let me, let me talk to my primary care. Let me talk to my heart doctor. Let me talk to all those specialists that you have and making sure that that communication is there for all of them so they can look at it. And even the pharmacy can do that for you. They can look at your prescriptions and say, okay, which ones could potentially have problems? Well, that brings up a question too because, I mean, we talked about the medications are expensive. And so a lot of us will do price shopping. So we'll go to, you know, Walgreens, CVS, Costco, whatever your, your pharmacy is. But bottom line is all our medications will be at different places. Um, is that presenting any kind of problems that you're seeing? It is because they don't talk to each other. Everybody thinks that everybody talks to each other, and they don't, And which is why we have to advocate for ourselves, because nobody's a better advocate for us than us, right? 
And if we can't, then we have to have a good team in place to do it. And so, you know, you would hope that Walgreens across, you know, one on 7th Street versus one on Baseline would talk to each other. And they, they probably do. But it, but if you have Walgreens and CVS and, you know, you had one filled at the hospital pharmacy before you left, they're not telling each other what's going on. And so you may be using multiple drugs to treat the same condition, whereas if somebody looked at it and said, look, we could probably eliminate some of this if we you know, work through it. And maybe it will work, maybe it won't. Maybe you need something completely different. But not even looking at it, I think a lot of elderly are saying, I don't, I, I'm scared to do anything because my doctor told me to take it and I have to take it. Mm, and that's where I'm going to jump in. That's not a good approach to say, my doctor told me to take it, so I'm going to take it uh, by itself. You need to advocate you need to think about these things, and you need to know that medications may be the problem that your loved one's experiencing. Dana Jean from Senior One Source is walking us through that conversation, with his, which is Chapter 5 in our book. We're going to continue that when we come back. Don't go away. You're listening to Aging in Arizona on 960 The Patriot. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thank you so much for being with us today. We are talking about our new book, also called Aging in Arizona, where we've had previous radio guests write chapters on their area of expertise and happy to say that the book is available now. You can look on Amazon.com, search Aging in Arizona, and the book will come up. Or you can go to our website, Aging in AZ. Dot com. Again, that's aginginaz.com if you want to get your very own copy. And we are thrilled today to have two of the authors with us. Dana Jean is with Senior One Source, and she's talking with us about her chapter, Chapter 5, on managing medications. And then in the second half of the show, after this segment, we're going to be talking with Jason May, who's an elder law attorney. He wrote Chapter 7 on Medicaid and the Arizona Long-Term Care System. So we're going to talk with Jason about those that topic and uh, other legal issues uh, when we get to that, when we get to his his time. But right now we want to finish with Dana. And Mark, uh, I know you wanted to follow up on some of the concerns she raised and the tips that she has around medications. Well, she talked about in the first segment, got into the polypharmacy that exists out there. But one thing that you did for the book is you had some great tips out there. Could you share some of those with us? Sure. I'd be happy to do that. So there was a lot of, um, a lot of, Things that I've learned over the last few years working uh, working in the healthcare side of things and and meeting a lot of families that I'm able to to go in and see them in their home and so a lot of times when they they have the issues there's a lot of behaviors that happen first of all and so like we were talking about in the earlier segment a lot of times the it's the behaviors that it's not necessarily the person it's it, what they're displaying the behaviors is usually a byproduct of what's going on and what they're taking and so um, when a lot of the times when I'm able to work with families I go in and I say you know hey we've got how many medications are you on oh 10 15 20 it's terrifying and then okay well when was the last time you've had those consolidated um, and, and why is it that we're, we're needing a new place for you? And sometimes it's they had an, an episode, there's, they over-medicated, they ended up in the hospital because of it, and so being able to just kind of work through that. So a lot of the tips that I have for the families is, is making sure that you're proactive about it. So if you know that someone has to have a surgery, if somebody has to have something that's going on and it's planned, you know, obviously it's, as, as Lewis always says, the, the 
the owner of our company for Senior One Source. He says it's easier to defuse a bomb than it is to wait for it to explode. And it's totally true with, with a lot of different areas in senior senior living, but being proactive. And so if, if you're able to to prepare for a surgery by getting off of a lot of those medications, your recovery is going to be a lot smoother. You're not going to have to deal with sometimes withdrawal symptoms from medications. And obviously, you always don't want to stop any medications without your doctor's approval and make sure that they're okay with it. So, you know, some things are dangerous to just stop cold turkey. So you always want to talk to your doctor about it. But um, having a, a good medication list an up-to-date medication list um, where wherever you are, wherever you need to go if you're traveling, um, and having that consistently updated for anything. So if something happens, you know, it's updated. They don't have to look at pill bottles and try and decipher who's taking what when and, and how many times a day and have you taken it. Um, so that's really a big deal. Um, having that open list and sharing it with all of your doctors, your primary care doctors, your specialists, if you're having to go into the hospital in emergency types of situations, that's really important too. Um, we talked a little bit, Mark, about um, having multiple pharmacies. If you can avoid doing that and having one pharmacy, um, that's really the the best way to go because then a I think there are a few of them, and I'm, I, I can't tell you which ones, but I think there are a few where they have um, a program in place that will look at your medications um, when they come in. Um, and, and then even asking the pharmacist, can you just take a look and see if, if you feel like that's a good, a good prescription for what I'm taking, do you have any other suggestions that I could talk to my doctor about? And really having that open dialogue. Pharmacists are incredibly smart, and they have continuous education, and so it's, you really want to take advantage of, of their expertise. Um, another, th another suggestion would be making a list for your office visits when you go. Why are you taking the medications? If you feel like once you take a medication and you're getting side effects from it, Take note of that. You know, write it down if you can. Tell tell your advocates what's going on, so that at least you kind of know when the the um, symptoms started and when the behaviors kind of started, that sort of stuff. And again, that's something that your team should be able to document for you, especially for those patients that have dementia. You know, if if it's causing more symptoms than it did before, then maybe maybe it's not the best best one for you. Um, also. When you're, when you're taking medications over a long period of time and your health changes, your body composition changes, you may not respond the same way to a medication that you did before. So it's really important to, to continually look at that and, you know, alter the dosages if you need to and change things because that can change as well. And the way you metabolize the medications, some metabolize them great, some don't at all. And so it's kind of a waste if it doesn't even work, right? So there's a lot of, um, of providers who use the technology and the medical information, but a lot are still converting from paper to online. And so the ones that are online is great, but it's not everybody's like that. And some doctors are old school doctors. They still write things hand in the, in the office and, and transition it over and do all that in a slow process. So, you know, finding what's working for you and, and making sure that you're just documenting everything so that you have that information for your, pharma for your pharmacist and for your physicians, that's the most important. So, so, so being able to communicate throughout the, the doctors that are out there. So you're in the community quite a bit. So I mean, you've probably got a thousand and one stories that you can share that you've seen and make our jaws drop. But is there, <laughs> is there a story that you can share with this that kind of illustrates exactly kind of what you're talking about? 
Yeah. So, um, so working with families, I, I got a call from a family that, that said, "Hey, my my mom is getting discharged from the hospital. She she's not doing that great. Um, she went in the hospital because she had a lot of dementia sim- symptoms. She she got lost. We didn't know what happened to her. You know, she is dehydrated. She's in the hospital. She was living alone, and we can't have her going home. And so, um, you know, of course." What I do is I go out, I meet with them, I assess them, see how see how the mom was doing, and just just to see what kind of care she needed. Um, she had dementia. She was living alone and managing it okay, but she was also managing her own medications. And so she had great support, but she didn't have somebody there with hands-on, eyes-on to make sure that, that she was taken care of. And so obviously being in the hospital and then coming out of the hospital, it was like, okay, she needs to get consolidation of her medications and my job is to help find a safe, appropriate place for her. So, so getting in for her, because she has dementia, she needed a smaller environment. She wasn't really doing a lot of activities anymore. She wasn't driving um, and wasn't really interested in doing those types of things. So we looked at different group home options um, where she was able to move in. The group homeowners were fantastic. They managed her medications. They were able to consolidate a lot of her medications once um, she moved in because they were there consistently seeing what, what was working, what wasn't working, um, and seeing how, how tweaking the behaviors, tweaking the medications changed her behavior um, to make it the best possible um, situation for her. So I think she had, I think she was on about 15 to 17 different medications. She was taking over-the-counter prescriptions or over-the-counter medications in addition to supplements, which just so you know, can also affect a lot of medications mm-hmm. as well. And so being able to really narrow that down. I think she ended up being on four or five um, after that. And just well, and I'm sure it affected just her well-being. Everything, yeah. I mean, whether If you're on 20 and it's helping you and it's yeah. it's it's incre- increasing your quality of life, that's one thing. But most often, lesser Less is, is, better. is better. Yeah, uh, especially in emergency situations, yeah. yeah. We've got to go to a quick break, but I want to thank Dana Jean from Senior One Source talking about Chapter 5 in our book, Aging in Arizona. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Jason May about Chapter 7 on Medicaid. Huge topic, so don't go away. You're listening to Aging on Arizona on 960 The Patriot. Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. Thank you so much for being with us today as we talk about our new book, also called Aging in Arizona, Insights for the Elderly and Their Families. And we've chosen the most important topics to put in this book, and we've had experts write a chapter on each of those topics. If you were listening in the first half of the show, we were talking with Dana Jean. I wanted to make sure that you could reach her if you had any questions about medications. As she discussed, her phone number is 602 608-6796. Again, 602-908-6796. Her website is SeniorOneSource.net, all spelled out, SeniorOneSource.net. Dana, just like the rest of our authors, are all wonderful resources on not only their topic, but just the issues that we know you and your loved ones are facing out there in general. And we've got another one of those experts to talk with now, Jason May. Jason is an elder law attorney, and he wrote Chapter 7 for us, which is on Medicaid, uh, the Arizona long-term care system. And that's what we're going to focus on today. 
But Jason, you're with uh, the firm GNM Legal Services, and you perform a whole range of legal services for the elderly and their families. Maybe give us an overview of that before we get into Medicaid. Yes, yes. I'm as an estate planning elder law attorney. I do trusts, wills, um, variations of those things. Your powers of attorney. I also deal with uh, conservatorships and guardianships. So there's a whole myriad of things, including dealing with all tax. Yeah, each of those is a, a book in itself, let alone only one chapter in a book, uh, estate planning. We've had you on before talking about some of those issues, and, and we won't have time today. But again, folks, planning is critical in all of these areas, and getting ahead of this, if you can, um, is important. That's well, again, why we've got this book. So, so Jason, Medicaid, give us the overview. We've got a short segment here. We've got more time with you in our next segment, but what's going on with Medicaid in Arizona? What is the 30,000-foot uh, view? Well, Medicaid actually is multiple things. Um, Medicaid is a, um, a financial-based system that the government set up to then take care of people if they couldn't take care of themselves. And uh, specifically, here with the Aging in Arizona group, there's a subset called in Arizona Altex, Arizona Long-Term Care Services. And that specifically deals with not just your regular medical needs, which maybe Medicare or other things like that might cover if you're over 65. It also deals with long-term care situations. And what is a long-term care situation? Well, um, that's somebody who... Uh, who has a physical need, so let's say a multiple sclerosis, that uh, they're not able to take care of themselves, feed, bathe. Uh, someone who has a mental health condition like Alzheimer's, where they're forgetful, they fall, they, they need somebody there as a caretaker on a regular basis. In the long term, obviously, a you know, period of time, and uh, the numbers on this are pretty staggering, actually, Mark. I think it's, uh, what, 30% of people are going to need some form of long-term care uh, as they age. So large numbers of folks are going to fall into this. But it's not, as you said, Jason, it's not everybody who's going to require Medicaid to support them in that. It's only those who are in what kind of a situation? That they have a medical need in addition to a financial situation, that they can't afford the care that they need. And... The care can be expensive. Uh, no doubt. I mean, and, and this is one of the confusing subjects that's out there. So, I mean, just in general, what is the qualifications to qualify for all tax? So, there's, uh, there's three main tiers. There is, first, the medical need, which there's a 60-point test that then they have to um, qualify with so and so many points on that side of things. That, like I was saying, care, um, being able to feed, clothe. Then the next one is income-based. And uh, that is currently, as of 2018, the update is $2,250 a month. Then the next one is asset-based, and this is the one that gets everybody, which is, for an individual, $2,000. In assets, uh, and and before we get into those details, we're going to have to take a quick break. But I think uh, the important thing for people to remember, this is like insurance. You're filing a claim on your insurance, only you're filing it through the state. And so you're qualifying for that claim in the similar way that you would for a private insurance program. You've got to qualify under the stipulations of the program. And so Medicaid, as you said, is there as a safety net for individuals who either medically or financially 
need the support. Now we're going to take our quick break. We're going to come back with Jason May. Again, Jason is an estate planning and elder law attorney with GNM Legal Services. They've got three offices throughout the Valley. Their website is g2mlaw.com. I give that out to you because there's so much related to the legal issues of Medicaid, estate planning, elder law issues that we're not going to be able to get to. So if you've got other questions, you can go to that website, g2mlaw.com. That's the number two. We'll be back, though, to cover more of Medicaid, what the benefits are, how to apply, how to get qualified when we return. You're listening to Aging in Arizona on 960 The Patriot, brought to you by ComfortCare Home Care. ComfortCare provides the care you need in the best place of all, your home. Many years from Welcome back to Aging in Arizona. I'm Presley Reader. I'm here with my co-host, Mark Young, and I uh, hope you are enjoying our conversation today and learning a lot. As always, we are talking right now with Jason May. He is an estate planning and elder law attorney, and he wrote Chapter 7 in our book on Medicaid and the Arizona Long-Term Care System specifically, which provides uh, care for folks in Arizona who require long-term care and qualify medically and financially. Really glad to have Jason here talking about this important topic, Mark. I think it's kind of interesting that Jason in the first segment there talking about this makes it seem pretty simple. There's only three steps when you qualify and I got to tell you, I don't, I've never come across where it's that simple. Well, attorneys are particularly good at making things sound very black and white and simple. And then all of a sudden <laughs> they turn real complicated. Well, he must be one of the best then. So uh, it, it does get complicated. It does get marred by the facts and everything goes Absolutely, in there. Absolutely, Mark. So can yeah. you kind of give us a situation that you, you kind of run across that kind of opens up some of these doors for us? Well, a lot of people, like we start off with, these are the base numbers. So then there's going to be a lot of people, even a lot of your listeners, they'll be, well, I don't qualify. And um, I actually had a husband and wife uh, that I just worked with recently. I have a bunch of other examples in the book. But uh, this one just happened recently where it's husband and wife, the wife needed care. She was falling. She was confused a lot. She had Alzheimer's. She medically would qualify. However, they had a house in Sun Lakes, which was worth over $300,000. They had two apartment buildings that they, or two apartment uh, complex units that they had owned from several years ago. They had other assets, IRAs and such. And on the surface, that's an awful lot more than $2,000. But with specific planning and strategizing, there are qualified areas that you can transition those assets from being qualified or being not qualified to qualified. To allow then, which is what we did with the well spouse, he was able to keep the house. He was able to keep all of the assets that were originally in the, um, the apartment building. We transitioned it to another asset base. And from that, he's able to keep about $170,000 in cash value plus than the house. Hmm. And that's that's kind of needed because I mean, uh, in the black and white version, you know, it almost sounds like the state expects you to be broke before they can come in. But at the same time, and this is an individual that planned well, mm -hmm. saved well, mm -hmm. and to expect that all his ass assets be depleted for the care and leave him with nothing. So maybe, in, you know, fast future in the future, he may need something that may not be there. Yeah, yeah, and that and that's actually the whole point of those caveats is to be able to then not put 
the well spouse into poverty so that now he has to then go into and get welfare himself. They want him, the well spouse, to be able to take care of himself because it's cheaper for him to take care of himself than having the government have to take care of both of them. Jason, you touched on a couple of misconceptions there that people might have about qualification or otherwise about the system, and I know you list out some of those facts in your chapter. Can you take us through any other ones that maybe we, we haven't touched on yet or that the story didn't sure. illustrate? Sure. Well, one, uh, one myth that uh, I, I hear people regularly say, well, since the government's got this taken care of, I don't need long-term care. Not true. Um, actually, the government, uh, through all tax, incentivizes you to have proper long-term care set up. So if you then use up all of that long-term care, if it's a qualified plan, then the government will actually, instead of being a $2,000 floor, it actually will be $2,000 plus whatever your long-term care policy was. So if you had a $500,000 policy, you could basically protect $502,000 in assets and be able to qualify. Hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of ways to, to move this around. When you're in uh, a specific state, you're subject to that state's program. Is that correct? Or can you talk a little bit about the relationship between states and the state-federal relationship? Yes, yes. So so basically, the one who writes all the checks, federal government. However, they don't want to do all the paperwork. So they then create these subgroups, which in Arizona is Altex, Arizona Long-Term Care. That is a subgroup of Medicaid, which is the federal system. So basically, Arizona then takes care of the paperwork, but really it's Uncle Sam that's writing the checks. Which is well, probably, I'd say, which is probably beneficial in the sense that a lot of us are transient, move here, and then need the services. Absolutely. Uh, Uncle Sam seems to have an unlimited amount of checks he can write, whether he has the money or not. So <laughs> there, there's a lot of truth. There. Separate show. Presley. <laughs> different different <laughs> topic, <laughs> but that's uh, an important distinguisher and something for folks to realize that when they're talking with the planner, the planner needs to understand specifically the Arizona statutes or laws, whatever you call them, uh, in particular because we have a lot of snowbirds. And I would think that they run into some planning issues when they're talking about qualifying in their home state of Illinois versus the state of Arizona where they come or vice versa. Absolutely, because there there are then, each state has its own set of rules and determining. They're close to each other, but they're still different. So yes, absolutely. Each state's different. So the that's why I focus in Arizona with the Arizona Long-Term Care, and I'd recommend somebody else who's in Illinois to go and see an Illinois-based attorney. Great. We're talking with Jason May. He is an Arizona-based attorney with GNM Legal Services. Their website uh, that I gave out earlier is g2mlaw.com. That's g2mlaw.com if you want to reach out to him. And he's talking with us about his chapter that he wrote in our, in our new book, Aging in Arizona. That's Chapter 7, Medicaid and Long-Term Care. What will Arizona cover? That's the name of the chapter. And we're so glad that Jason's written the chapter and has come in today. If you're interested in getting a copy of the book, you can find it on Amazon. You can also go to agingnaz.com. That's agingnaz.com to pick up your own copy. Uh, Jason, one of the confusing uh, phrases or uh, words that people bring up where they get confused is Medicare and Medicaid. So I hear that a lot. I'm talking to somebody and they refer to Medicare, but I know 
they're talking about Medicaid or vice versa. Can you just real quickly distinguish between the two? And do you run into that as well? Absolutely. So um, Medicare is something that we pay into. And um, that's we pay into it when we're younger, which is through our you know regular taxes. But then also when we're older, there's actually a Medicare payment that we make when we're over 65 and actually start taking it. That only covers, though, your uh, essentially hospital, doctor visits, that side of thing. It does not cover things like long-term care. Now, Medicaid, again, is a big system. That is then financially based, where then you have to have income limits. And Medicaid, under that, which is all tax, is the long-term care side. So Medicare does not cover long-term care. They only cover going and seeing Dr. Smith and getting the awards. Well, you're doing pretty good for your age. <laughs> and that leads to a misconception, too, that, you know, Medicare is going to take care of me. No, no, it's it's actually the Medicaid that might be helping with you. Uh, you talked about uh, the requirements to qualify for it, but when is the best time to start planning for? Just like a lot of things in your, even in your regular state planning. It's better to plan prior and do pre-planning to be able to structure some of the assets or maybe even transition some of your assets to qualify sooner. And actually, I had a situation just like that where um, there was somebody I met, and she didn't qualify initially, and she didn't have the medical need yet, but she was on her way. And her son, who I had worked with, um, he I gave them through, said, we don't need to uh, apply right now, but yet nine months later, she fell, she broke her hip, she was increasingly becoming more confused, and now she medically qualified. So that's when we were able to plan, but we'd move some things around in order to get the finances in line for when that day came when the medical need kicked in. And if you've planned like that, does that help with the process itself? Because I've heard so many people talk about uh, Altex being a cumbersome application process and that they get lost in the system. I mean, it sounds similar to a lot of the programs that you're trying to apply for through the government. Of course, there's a lot of red tape. There are things you have to, the I's have to be dotted, the T's have to be crossed. And you understand why that's the case both ways. But uh, with the Arizona long-term care system, it sounds challenging. It, what, what can somebody expect for as far as turnaround? Yeah. Um, so it is challenging because it's a whole new language to most people. And, uh, and even the medical side, that there are people that I've met that they've applied three times on their own or with other organizations and gotten rejected. And then they work with me and I explain to them what the Medicare or what the Altex agents are looking for. And that then helps them emphasize those things. So when it comes to the process, if you have someone who is skilled and knowledgeable about the system, the process can actually be fairly streamlined and quick, but you should always look at it as um, don't expect something immediately. It's the government. They work slow to give you something. So uh, it could be a couple of months, but when, with my systems, I usually try and get it down to several weeks. And uh, But the average right now is three months. That, that is the average statistic on the Arizona Long-Term Care website. So your choice then is that you can go through it on your own and try to follow the steps, do the application yourself, or you can bring in somebody like yourself who can assist with it. Absolutely. And if so, you come in and you assist with that. How does that process 
work if someone's going to sit down with you? You're going to look through all their all their assets, I imagine. Yeah, well, actually, it's the, the whole kit and caboodle. So uh, we'll come in, have a meeting, and that is a free consultation that then we evaluate where are you at. And then from there, we strategize. And with that strategy, we ha- I have different tiers of kind of what kind of the needs are. If we have to do a lot more restructuring of assets and things, that's going to be a little bit more work, a little bit more time. But then there's some people that we don't have to restructure as much, and it's more just getting the education in to qualify for the medical need or uh, assessing some of the assets and moving a couple of things. The other benefit I would think of sitting down and doing that is that you're not taking this uh, pie a piece at a time. You're looking at the whole pie all at once. And when I say pie, I mean you're looking at your estate situation. You're looking at other elder law issues that might arise because I would imagine that when people are thinking Medicaid, or Medicare questions, how am I planning for this, what does this mean, you're identifying other things that come up in the conversation that they might need to be prepared for, or other trusts or things that they've got to set up to avoid probate, et cetera. Absolutely. And actually, that's something that a lot of people run into is um, if, let's say, mom is not doing so well, but mom still has a lot of her mental capacity, but she's declining, mom might not have a power of attorney for son or daughter to be able to step in. Well, this is a great time to get it before mom and dad or before mom gets into that situation. So that's where there's extra documents, there's extra things that we might uncover that uh, come through the process of evaluating, even if the person's not necessarily ready or qualified at this moment for all techs. Mm. Lots of important information here, Mark. Anything to add about Medicaid, things you've run into out there? I think the biggest things is just some of the misconceptions that are out there, you know, to, uh, you know, some of the processes that it it takes, you know, like I said, the length of time that it takes sometimes is, is crazy. I know people that have been trying for years and, and I think somebody getting with somebody such as yourself, Jason, that has the skill set. I mean, when you stay, I'm able to do this in a couple of months, couple, you know, a few weeks. Yeah. That's impressive. That tells me right there, you, you know what you're doing. I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, it's it's sometimes it's easy to just figure you know fill out a, an application, but to know exactly what they're looking for, uh, you, you got to get that representation. Yeah, well, and this is especially an area where you can't walk into it when you're already in a crisis. You really need to do the planning here. I know we harp on that a lot on the show, but you really in Medicaid got to be ahead of the game and be prepared and educate yourself. And uh, I want to. Thank Jason for coming in and educating us. Thank you for writing in the book. Again, Chapter 7 on Medicaid and Altex. Jason is with G or uh, G2MLaw.com is the website. He's with GNM Legal Services. If you have more questions, you can reach them 623-236-2476 in the West Valley, 480-360-0537 in the East Valley. Uh, again, if you're interested in getting a copy of the book, go to Amazon.com or aginginaz.com. Thanks for being with us. Next week, we'll be talking with more contributors to our new book, Aging in Arizona. So come back and join us Sunday at 4 for Aging in Arizona right here on Intelligent Talk 960, The Patriot. Hey, Presley, have a great week. To Mark. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Jason. Have a good one. Thanks.